Hi, friends. Welcome to another episode, a very special episode of the That Sounds Fun podcast. I'm your host, Annie F. Downs, and today is a fun one. For starters, the music in the background is our buddy Dave Barnes. Make sure you check out his stuff and see him while he is on tour. Today's so fun because two women that I absolutely love and respect are on the show, so we're going for a twofer. We got each of them are doing a few minutes on the show, and I just thought it'd be fun to put them together. They both have new books out that I absolutely love, and so I wanted you guys to hear them both. And I think they would be friends, so this is kind of my way of introducing them. So Candace and Mo, I hope you guys will end up being friends. First up, we're going to have Candace Cameron Bure. You probably know her uh, because she's Candace Cameron. She was on Full House, is currently on Fuller House. She is also an author that's incredibly gifted. Her new book, Kind is the New Classy, is really excellent. I've already gotten a chance to read it, and I just think the world of her and her book. So we will start there with a conversation with Candace Cameron Bure about her new book, kind is the new classy and all the other things that you know I want to talk about, including push-ups. So here is my conversation with Candace Cameron Bure. As you, I think you heard the Christmas episode that we did, but one of the rules about our podcast is that everyone who is on it is is a friend of mine. Like we don't have strangers on really. And so we just jump right in with talking like friends. If that's okay Perfect. with you, so because that's, that's it's the fun what thing. I prefer. <laughs> yeah, it's the it's the more fun thing because then everyone who's listening knows that whoever is on the show is someone that they. I mean, they already know you and can trust you, but it also feels like oh, I'd like getting to hear two friends talk. You know, totally. It's professional eavesdropping, Candace, is what it is. <laughs> okay, so where are you? Are you at home? Yes, I'm at home. Okay, how? And I think uh, do you? It seems like you travel more than just about anybody in Nashville. <laughs> I travel a lot, but I've been home the whole month of December, which was incredible. Uh, And I purposefully was like, I need to take a whole month off and actually see my family and be at home. So uh, December was great, but I do pick up on Monday and I'm going back to Vancouver. I'll be gone for a couple months shooting another couple films. Oh, wow. Okay. Well, will the kids come out and visit you? Will your husband come out and visit you? How do y'all do that? No. No, no one really likes me. (laughs) (laughs) I don't think that's true. (laughs) Um, No, because my kids are, well, two of them are still in school. My boys are still in high school. And uh, Natasha works. And no, and then my husband, you know, runs the show at home when I'm gone. So uh, I do have a girlfriend that's going to come up for a couple days. And that's going to be like the first time I'm going to get a visitor. And that makes me really happy. Yeah. What is that like? I mean, because you have a lot of friends. Everything I know, Candace, is thank you to Insta Story. So you can be like, Annie, quit making assumptions about my life. But on Instagram, it t- I mean, it seems like you have friends and good community and having to leave that for chunks at a time like that must, that's like a real cost that people probably don't count. It can be. But the cool thing is when I go to Vancouver, like I'm shooting Aurora Tea Garden movies, which is a movie series that I have on Hallmark Movies and Mysteries. And so it it, that really is like another family for me because it's a lot of the same crew, a lot of the same cast. I mean, this is this will be the eighth and ninth movie that I'm doing with all these same people. So I really do have good community up in Vancouver. But the reality is I'm 16 hour days. So the reality of me doing anything other than work um, is non-existent. So that's why I rare I rarely have visitors because I I it's not like it's I can not go like y'all can out. visit. Yeah, yeah. So one of the things we're talking about on the podcast this year is we're talking about some rhythms we want to bring into our lives. And so one of the rhythms that we're talking about a lot is like Sabbath and rest. And what does that look like? So what does it look like when you're at home for a month? What is really restful for you? What kind of stuff have y'all done? Well, the first week I was so antsy because it was very hard for me to rest because I'm so used to being on the go and doing a million, trillion, billion things at a time. And so it was really hard. I'm like, ah, I don't know if I can sit home all month long. Right. And by the second week, I was like, oh my gosh, I just slept in till nine Mm -hmm, mm o'clock. I don't have anything on my calendar to do. I could really get used to this. And I've kind of done nothing. And I say that a little tongue in cheek because I'm kind of always doing something, but it truly has been the most relaxing four weeks I've had in probably the last three years. 
And um, it's great. I'm literally doing nothing. So what does my day look like? It's like, I'll wake up and if I feel like going on a hike, I will. Or if I feel like going to spin class, I will. Or if I literally want to sit in bed till 11 a.m., I have. <laughs> yeah. So I take August off every year. And I have a very similar experience that the first week you kind of go like, but there should be something. And then by the fourth week, I'm like, I don't ever want to do anything else. <laughs> like, yes. this is what I want to do. But I found this true in my life, too. But talk a little bit about still doing exercise even when you're resting. Well, exercise for me, because I think it's a good thing. It's a really great thing. And exercise doesn't have to be something super rigorous. Exercise just means getting out and moving your body. So what I have learned over the years with exercise is that for me, it's not about losing weight, whether or not I have a few pounds I would like to lose, but it, it really is all about my mental health and my emotional health. So exercising makes me feel incredible. It makes me feel good. It gives me clarity of mind. It helps me with depressive thoughts. It helps me with anxiety at times. And it just overall helps me feel good. So um, whether I want to do something rigorous, that kind of depends. I mean, I do enjoy exercise, but I think I learned to love it over the years because of knowing how good it makes me feel. Not because I have to go do it and I'm trying to lose weight or look at a number on a scale. And I think when most people, even if you have weight to lose, like when you look at what exercise does and how it makes you feel, it will change your life and your attitude towards exercise if you don't really like it. Yeah. And I think an important thing for faith people to think about is a lot of times we think that taking a Sabbath rest or a break means doing absolutely nothing. And that's not always the case. You know, like it's almost like we need to remind ourselves that taking care of our bodies is a good part of rest as well. And it's not just sleeping. Exactly. It definitely is. Yeah. And I love, I mean, one of the things I loved about August is I'd be like, well, I have from nine to noon to do what literally whatever I want, like before I go eat lunch with a friend or whatever. And so I could even do not, this is going to sound really silly, not more exercise, but I could like do something and then go do something else. And then go like, I just had more time to like, I can go swim or I can, I wasn't, okay, I've got 45 minutes. How sweaty do I want to get in 45 minutes? Yep, <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Cause that's even my life with, with hiking. Cause I, I live in Malibu and we have, I mean, all of LA has such great uh, hiking paths because we have the mountains right here, the Santa Monica mountains, but I can't do that on a normal work day. Like I have my one hour I can get into the gym, but this time of rest, I've gone on so many hikes. Like my goal is to try different hiking trails that I haven't because they're right here in my backyard. But like I have the two hours to go explore and do it. And do you love cooking as well? No, I don't but... either. I don't either. <laughs> okay. My husband is a, like, he's an incredible chef. He's so good. And he does 95% of the cooking in our house. Uh, but I'm, I'm trying to do a little bit more just to be helpful. And I've gotten some new recipes, but I don't love it. Like he loves it. Yeah. I can't, I like, there is something in culture that tells us that it's not okay to not love cooking if you're a woman. Sometimes, like, that's what I hear in my head is like, but I'm supposed to love it. I'm supposed to. And then I'm like, this year at Christmas, I told everybody, I was like, let me just be honest. I don't want, I can put things together. I don't want an Instapot. Like, I don't need the new things. It doesn't help me at all. Can we talk about the Instapot for a second? Because my girlfriend was just trying to tell me how much I need it. And I'm like, but what is the difference between an Instapot and a Crock-Pot? Because I have a Crock-Pot. And I enjoy using it once in a while, but I don't want a new thing that I am going to use once a month again. Thank you. Okay. And our mutual friend, Kate Harris, who you love and adore, as do I. (laughs) Kate is making everything in the Instapot. And the other day she says to me, I made coconut yogurt. It's amazing. Candice, do you know how long it took her in the Instapot? Two days. It had to sit in the Instapot two days. And I was like, Kate, it isn't worth it, sister. Go buy coconut yogurt. And then you only get a cup of it. You're getting a cup and a half of yogurt for two days? Forget it. Yeah, no kidding. I don't want the Instapot. No. Okay, thank you. (laughs) This is what we're standing... If we ever run for president and vice president, this is one of the things we're standing on. We are (laughs) anti-Instapot. We do not have to have (laughs) Instapot. Um, But speaking of the Harrises, aren't they just the best? 
Oh my goodness. Um, I, I am just straight up telling you, like, I'm trying to steal them from you guys because I, I really want them in LA because I love them so much. I know, I know. And you get them for the month of June this year, I think. Yeah. And I didn't get to see them nearly enough, but I just love and adore them. So I am working hard I to uh, steal them away. I know. They were trying to buy a new house and when it didn't work, I was like, oh no, they're going to look in LA. <laughs> I was like, we're going to lose them. They are the best. I just told a story about them because we did New Year's together and Harris did incredible magic, uh, like card tricks at the table. And it was just, it is amazing how much, because he is so good at at that really up close magic, he bring it just brings so much joy. I know. Right? Do your kids just love it when he does it for them too? I mean, and y'all too. I mean, we just love it. Yeah, we we do too. Yeah, my my boys love it. So they... I mean, they would, they bought, the last time they saw them, they bought coins and the coins would not leave their hands for months and months and months because they were just trying to practice to like roll the coins on their fingers and hide them. Yeah, and yeah. Oh, they were just all over it. I know. I love it. It's one of my favorite things. People are always amazed when I tell them I'm actual friends with a magician. And I'm like, and he's really good. Like he's not like medium good. He's really good. <laughs> Have you done the magic castle with them? Yes, I have. Oh, see, that's on my to-do list. I really want to go. It's fun. I will, if you don't have a date when you want to go, I'll be your date. Oh, yeah, let's do it. I think it'll be so fun because when they go back out there for summer of 18, I totally want to come out. Okay, so, Candace, let's talk about Hallmark Christmas movies for just a minute because you know we did a whole episode. Yes, I know. And I listened. We, thank you. I'm just a huge fan. I need to know, do you have a favorite of yours? Or do you have a favorite in general? Um... Of the Christmas movie, I don't have a favorite because I enjoy each of the movies that I do for different reasons, you know, with the people I work with or, I, you know, Christmas Under Wraps, which was the one where I play, like I have to explain it because it's basically the same character <laughs> in every movie, but the one where I play the doctor that goes to Alaska. Yes, that's my favorite one. I wrote it down. That's like a lot of people's favorite one. And, um... And I totally enjoyed doing that movie. But even when I was doing it, I was like, even I think this might be a little too hokey for Hallmark. And then it turns out to be like the best one. I know. And then people loved it. I totally love it. Your parents on that show are not are, are not the most understanding. No, no, they no, weren't. They were not. They were not the most. I mean, that's one of the ones that stays on my DVR unless my roommate deletes them. So um, I love Christmas Under Wraps. And I'm, I mean, I'm a Full House fan from the beginning. So I'm the oldest of three daughters. And so DJ Tanner was always Annie. You were DJ. I was yeah. DJ. I was the oldest one. Yeah. I was the one who had to learn to wear makeup first. I was the one. I mean, I, yeah, I was the first. Aunt Becky taught everyone in our generation how to wear makeup, didn't she? She did. Light, not so heavy. Those light cheeks. Okay, let's. <laughs> um, so I love your books. I love Staying Stylish. I already have that one. And Kind is the New Classy is the one that just came out. When this podcast comes out, it comes out the week after Kind is the New Classy. So the book just came out. Tell me about this one. I love the title. Thank you. Um, this one, I hope the title speaks for itself in the sense that, you know, I had such a really great experience co-hosting The View for a couple of years, and I learned so much about, about how to have conversations and talk to people and still be kind and respectful even when we didn't agree. And that was really where the, the foundation of this book came from and all the talking points, because I feel like in our culture today, so many of us have lost, lost the fact that when we don't agree with someone, we feel like it's fine just to be angry and nasty and, and dismiss people's opinions because they aren't the same as ours. And so I wanted to write, I wanted to write about this because I, I think that kindness is what ultimately connects each of us. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's beautiful. And I, you know, one of the things that people also, what I can tend to do in my personality type is not have hard conversations at all. And I think the other thing you've really done beautifully is kind of said in kind as a new classy is you didn't say like either be, be kind and agree with everything or don't say anything at all. You kind of, you did what you did on the view and what our friend Elizabeth Hasselbeck did on the view of like, I can have an opinion and I can still be kind. Exactly. Right. And so did you decide when you were thinking down, because with staying stylish, it totally fits with like, here's my life. Here's what you're seeing online. And here's me putting it in. Do you feel like that's true for kind of the new classy as well? That that's what you were already living so much. 
Oh, definitely. Each of my books is very much, they're, they're all my own personal stories. I'm not the expert on anything. It's simply like, here's my life. Here's how I've done it. Here's what's worked. Here's what hasn't. I'm going to pass on the best of it to you. And hopefully you can pick and choose what works for you to make you your best and kindest and most loving and compassionate and give you food for thought of things you weren't thinking of before. That's always my goal for all of my books. But this topic was pretty, it was like I knew this is what I needed to write about, um, being kind, um, especially coming off of, of the view um, and just in the, in the culture that we're living in today. So I don't want us to forget it. Yeah. Did you always want to write books? Has that always kind of been in you? <laughs> no, <laughs> which to me is totally crazy that this is now my my fifth book. And I, I mean, I, I have more on the way. I'm, I'm, <laughs> I still have an, I have another that I'm currently writing. And so there'll be more throughout the year, but it's kind of a surprising voice that I didn't realize I would have. Um, and really it's the voice I've always had because I've been fortunate to be able to share it on platforms because when I do interviews and I'm promoting, whether it's one of the television shows or something like that, you're always asked about topics. Um, and then through social media, there's always been a platform, but I just didn't ever think that writing it on paper and putting it in a book would be one of them. And I, there's something about it that feels, I feel so accomplished. I feel more accomplished saying I'm an author than I am an actress, even though the resumes don't even compare. <laughs> right. Yeah. How come? Just because it's a different skill set? Maybe. And maybe because I never thought I would do it. Oh, and I feel sure. I'm really proud of myself. I'm like, it was never my dream or my goal. And now that it's here, I'm like, oh my goodness, I can't believe I've done this. Yeah. Oh, wow. That's a really interesting idea that, that it just because it came out of a gifting you didn't even realize you had you feel a lot of like connection with it. Yeah. Yeah. That's cool. Do you enjoy, I've seen, I know a couple of times you've done some speaking at events. Do you enjoy doing that as well? Or, I feel like you don't do that as much as you write. No, I don't. I used to do it a lot actually. And then I kind of got burned out and then my schedule basically took off the last three years and I just don't have time for it. Um, but it's, but it isn't a priority because there's a part of me that enjoys it um, for, with, uh, with certain aspects of it, but I don't, I basically share the same stories. Like every time I go out there, I might throw in a new story here and there, but the, but the, the basis of my story is always the same, which is sharing my testimony. And that part I enjoy, but when you share the same thing over and over, I feel like, I feel like I should have new material all the time. Like comedians <laughs> have new material. And then I'm like, oh my gosh, I'm still talking about the same thing 10 years later. But your testimony doesn't change. I mean, not the not the beginning of it anyway. So I I enjoy it, but it's I'm not passionate about speaking. Um, and I'm also an actress and I'm much more comfortable having a script. So when I have to talk off, not in interviews, but when I'm just at a podium for an hour and it's like, go ahead and talk, it's a little scarier for me to do oh that. Gosh, no kidding. Hey, me too, actually. I agree with you. And you know what's so funny about that is like with musicians, you want to hear every time you hear a musician live, you want to hear exactly what you heard on their album. But every time you hear a speaker live, you want to hear something you've never heard before. Right. Right. And that's so that true. makes it really hard. <laughs> yeah. I don't I don't really don't know how pastors do it. I know some some have help for the outlines, but I don't know how they come up with the relatable stories to the scripture every stinking week. Like with the just, same it, audience. Yes. It amazes me. It, it me too. I'm in awe. Of, of pastors and what they do. Me too. I think they're some of the hardest working people out there because I'm like, y'all y'all don't get a break and you don't get to use the same jokes. At least I get to take the same jokes everywhere I go. <laughs> they do right. not get to do that. Okay, right. last question for you that we always answer because the podcast is called That Sounds Fun. So we love to ask people, what sounds fun to you right now? Like, what do you do for fun? What Besides your push-ups, I think I'm going to do the 50 push-ups with you, Candace. I'm going to try. What? You haven't started? I know. I haven't started. I'm gonna, today, we're recording in January. And we're in April? I, oh, yeah, you're right. You're right. In April. Annie, you you're behind. You get on that, Annie. <laughs> I'm going to really try. I'm going to post today, Candace. You'll see. I'm going to post today that I'm going in. Okay. Elizabeth went in. Kate's going in. Everyone we share, I've got Everyone. to. Everyone. Everyone's going, doing it. It's going viral. I love like, it. you got to get in on this. Yeah. Okay, so what do you love to do for fun? 
I love to go shopping. Good answer. Really, if I'm going to be honest, that's that's my fun. I love shopping alone, and I just like looking at everything and trying things on. And yeah, I know you just got again. The internet told me you just got some new jeans. Congratulations. That is so creepy. This is the creepiest part of the internet where we know each other like that. Um, I love it. Thanks, friend. I appreciate it. I hope you get some rest. Thank you. I will. Man, I like her so much. I can't wait for her and Mo to be friends too, right? I just think the world of her. What a great conversation with Candace. I'm so grateful she made time to be on the show. I hope you will hurry and go order Kind is the New Classy. I think it's a great book to read, especially as you're kicking off the summer when you're having a little bit more reading time like I am. Make sure you grab this one. You may have heard Mo Isom on the show before. She has an episode a couple of years back when her first book released. That book, Wreck My Life, is a New York Times bestseller. It's an incredibly interesting book about her story, but she just released a new book called Sex, Jesus, and the Conversations, The Church for God. And so I called her and I said, Mo, you got to come back on the show and talk about this new one. I think it's just incredible. It's a beautiful book where she's very honest and open, and I just could not be a bigger fan of her. So here is my conversation with our friend Mo Isom. Hey, Mo, welcome back to the podcast. Thank you. This is the best. I'm so excited to be on with you. Oh, I love when you're on. Every time people listen to your show, I get a comment in email or on the blog post or just on Twitter and people just love it. You're just the best. Well, thanks. You you as well. I uh, I eat your episodes up. So this is like the greatest treat. And you know what's really fun is this episode, the first part, what people have already listened to is Candace Cameron Bure and then you. And so my dream is that y'all will end up being friends. It's like we all sat down at lunch together. Oh, I would love that. We should have three-wayed in. We should have just all talked at the same time. Are you and her already friends? Do you already know her? No, I don't. I okay, would love to. Great. Oh, great. This her. is what I, you're going to love her. She's awesome. But this is this is my dream. Hey, before we jump into your new book and our lives, we got a really interesting comment from someone who listened to the last podcast and with you and I, which, oh, let me look back. It's episode episode 20. So, Mo, and what episode number is this? This is, let me do some math in my head, 74, I think. Woo! Something in the mid-70s, yes. Well, I'm such a weirdo, Mo, because I haven't totally numbered them correctly. Because when we do series, I stop numbering. So when we do Christmas parties, I stop numbering. And we did a series in January and the start of February, stop numbering. So we're somewhere in the actual like 90s of shows. But you're technically number maybe 74, 75, somewhere in there. I haven't totally numbered yet. But that's where you are. 50 episodes later, you're back. Yee-hee! Um, well, what did she want to know? Okay, what so asking? here's what she said, which is I think is an interesting conversation for you and I to ha- have. She said, Mo said her top priority is her relationship with Jesus, and then it's being a wife and a mother, and that work comes third. And she said, I wish you had responded, meaning Annie, with your priorities as a single woman. I'm not a wife or a mother, but I don't think my top priorities are then Jesus and then work. So where does extended family, friends, ministry, and your own mental, physical health fit in this list? I think that's a really interesting, for you and for me, I mean, you're right, Jesus, family, and then your work, but what about the other stuff? What about Passion City? And what about your physical health? And what about your friendships? Like, what? A, what's all that yeah, stuff? Yeah, that's such a great question. Um, so where those things stack in what I always call the totem pole, um, I think for all of us, single, dating, engaged, married, wherever you are in life, the top priority has to be our relationship with God. That's so outside of ministry. That is a cultivation of our heart's health with the Creator. That is self-care, you know, in the, in the spiritual side of things. Our spiritual self-care, I feel like, has to be at the top because when, when we are first and foremost focused on our relationship with God, first off, that bleeds into everything, into our words, into our work, into our life, into all things. We must first come to the living water to be filled. And um, I find then that is how he can overflow through our lives. And that is how we can continue to extend ourselves. I see way too many people run so dry and dehydrated and just run out of steam in life because they're not being poured into. They're not being filled up. No matter what his family, what his or her family life is. Exactly. No matter where you, this is just our human. We are not just here. We are his 
We are creations of the creator. We are not just here. We are his. That is really good. And so that for me, for anybody has to sit at the very top of cultivating. What does that mean? What does that look like? God, let me come to you and ask, you know, what, what does it mean to be in relationship with you and growing in that way um, allows us then I think the energy and the, and the ability to then pour out. And so I, I think what, what, comes next. And that is self-care. They're, those aren't separate things. That is self-care. Um, but what comes next, and this pulls it out from just husband or kids or whatever it may be, what I feel like has to come next, because this is the model of the cross, what has to come next in our lives is self-sacrifice to others for others. Um, it is putting, in on the totem pole, it is putting relationship with and for others above so many other things. We make that oftentimes like, oh, what I have left, I'll give you, you know, and in marriages, oh, when I come home at the end of the day, let me give my last bit of energy and what's left to you. Or even in our friendships, we have a friend who's been asking to sit down for coffee for six months. And we're saying, oh, when I can find the time, you know, oh, I'm so busy. And the model of the cross really first is relationship with the Father. And in response to relationship with the Father, it is, it is giving our lives for others. That's what Jesus's life looked like. And so whether that is a husband and to children, or whether that is to friendships or to our local church, or to you know wherever we are plugged in and serving, it is first filling up and then it is then pouring out in service. And I feel like when our hearts can be there, and you can speak into this too, this might look different for you. I don't know. But for me, it looks like filling up and then pouring out and pouring out in the ways that don't glorify Mo, that aren't the Mo show, that aren't like my business or my work or my ministry because it edifies me, but it's pouring out in the unseen. It's in the mundane. It's in the meeting that friend for coffee. It's in serving my husband when he gets home. It's, you know, in all of the unseen ways. And that's just good for, it's just good for the soul. It it just has to go that way. And then comes, okay, God, what have you called of my hands and my feet? You know, what work can I do for you? Or what gifts and talents have you given me? And let me, let me exercise, you know, my strengths there. And that comes work that becomes ministry that becomes whatever it is we do. But that has to come lower on the totem pole because we are not defined by what we do. Well, I'll tell you, actually, sometimes in my life, Mo, like I would say this week is a perfect example where my work wins over my personal relationships. Yeah. Because of the speed I have to run this week, because of what I have to get done. This isn't a life plan. This is a this week plan, though. You know, so there are seasons where to me, God asked me to love him first and then do what he's put in front of my hands first, next, right next. That's good, but I think it's it's important and it's great that you realize that's a seasonal. It's that's seasonal. A, this week. That's maybe this week or these next four weeks, you know. But it's not the fifth. It doesn't become fifty-two weeks of our year. If that is a fifty-two weeks of our year, we will run so dry so fast. That's exactly right. Um, that I <laughs> yes, that is the thing. Is you have to for yourself and for other people. You have to you have to invite people in. <laughs> so that I don't spend the next four weeks caring about work more than I care about my friends. Right. Right. I'm allowed, I'm allowed to do that for a week. Yeah. But yeah. I feel like I look out and can see a world that like that sounds idealistic, but then they're not intentional about it. And it does become 52 weeks a year. That becomes their priority list. And you see marriages hurt and friendships hurt and churches hurt because people are going to fill up themselves and never pouring out and serving. And um, so I think it's like it always in everything, we have to be intentional day to day, week to week, month to month, um, and make sure that there's seasons, but that we're also pulling back and remembering sort of that totem pole of priorities in other seasons. Yeah, that's right. And that's what I see in my story too, is that seasonally, it can shift a little bit week by week, it can shift a little bit, but overall, clearly, no matter what the Lord comes first, that's when I feel the biggest deficit I feel a deficit when I'm not with my people only because that's such a important part of my life. But I don't feel near the deficit without my people that I feel if I'm not making time for the Lord. That's a deficit that I, I, I feel in 30 minutes. Whereas with people, if I haven't seen my people in three or four days, I go, okay, this isn't working for me. Yeah. 
Yeah. And that's going to be so different. I feel like person to person too, because I would imagine you're extroverted. And so you fill up when you're with people. Let me speak to uh, all most the, of the time. Yeah. Most of the time. Okay. Let me speak to all the hardcore introverts um, because <laughs> you are my people. Uh, sometimes it's like I could go 52 weeks a year avoiding all people. That would be amazing. Um, it is harder work for an introvert. You don't mean that though, because you're, you wouldn't go without seeing Jeremiah or your children. You don't mean all people. They don't count. <laughs> See, but that's, my- that's the thing about introverts. Okay, Mo, we're going to have to talk about this. That's the thing about introverts because introverts don't not want to be around people. They just want to be very particular. <laughs> it's Well, it's just how we refuel. I, I have to have some alone time to fill back up. But it's funny because when you marry and then have kids, they almost fall under your umbrella of alone time. Like if I can be alone with my husband, that that still works for me. It still fills me up. If I can Got be it. alone with my children, you know, I don't know. It's weird. No, it's great. I claim that I claim this introversion, but I've changed some. I'm getting I'm getting out of my out of my hermit ways. And it's great. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I just think it's such a good I think when people ask questions like that, their heart is, I want to do this well. But I also think there's so much fluidity and so much permission and so much seasonal thing. It's not just who you are and who you're married to and whether you're dating or whether you're not. It is what is on your plate today. Yeah. And it's almost like every day. Yesterday was my day off and I could have seen 10 friends and totally felt filled up. But also I'm so tired. I stayed on my couch. Yep. Right. So I'm an extrovert who needed a day to fill up alone and who yesterday's priority was God and then me. (laughs) That was it. And today has been God and then work. And then I'll see some friends for dinner and then I'll, you know, read a book tonight to kind of think about my own growth and my own health. Right. And so every single day feels a little different to me after number one, whereas probably for you, it's every single day is different after one and two. I was going to say, yeah, for in, in marriage and especially with children where like they would die if you didn't feed them. That's like, it. That's it. That's it. <laughs> it, uh, it becomes the, those, that self-service. It has to happen. And, or that service of others, I mean. And the reason I emphasize that is because it's hard. It is really, really hard. And a lot of the times I see so many people begrudge it or resent it or pawn it off on others to do. And I'm like, man, there's such beauty. There's such beauty in this dying to self and this learning to serve others before, you know, I I serve my wants all the time, you know? And so it's just, I think in all things, it's an intentionality. It's keeping these things in mind. It's, you know, finding the balance, but it's always coming back to God. What, what do you desire of me? And first and foremost, it's always going to be us and him. And then a lot of the times it's going to look like things beyond ourselves. Yeah, that's exactly right. Well, we just went there, didn't we? We don't, we don't even start slow. <laughs> I hate small talk. So this is that's great. Right. And that's what they should know about us in real life is when we sit down for coffee, we don't even start slow at a Starbucks either. No, nope. we jump nope. right in. Okay, let's keep jumping. Listen, we got to talk about your new book because if there's one topic we under celebrate here on the That Sounds Fun podcast, <laughs> it's sex. So, it's sex. will you come and will you celebrate sex, Jesus, and the conversations the church forgot? Tell me why you wrote a book about sex, Mo. Hey, um, you know what? Let's just celebrate it together here because this is for singles, this is for married people, this is for dating people, this is for the human heart. This book, it had to be its own book. When I wrote my first book, um, Wreck My Life, that was about my testimony of coming to faith. But I realized I couldn't just squeeze the sexual elements of that testimony. I couldn't just squeeze them into a chapter. They needed legs of their own because if you look out in the world right now, sex is the biggest thematic conversation and the most misunderstood thing. And I would say to a great degree, the leading cause of suffering and hurt and shame and guilt, a lot of things center around sex and around brokenness or around misguidance or around misbehavior or around, you know, a lack of true understanding of what sex is, why God designed it, what its purposes are, the beauty in it, the celebration of it, the fact that it is a gift from God. It is an act of worship. And it is something he always intended for 
our edification, for our blessing. It is a gift from him, but we and the world twist it and cheapen it and pervert it and worship it and navigate through a lot of brokenness. But what I, what, what had to be talked about too, is the beauty in the same God who redeems it. And so I knew my sexual testimony kind of needed legs of its own. And, um, there were so many conversations that either were missed or weren't had or weren't understood or were so off base that, um, I just wanted to speak biblical truth into the conversation. And I wanted to not call the church out, but call the church up to begin discussing these things too. Cause we're in a world right now that is sexually hurting and they're looking to the church for some answers and the church doesn't know what to say. And I say the church as we as a body of believers, you know, and that doesn't matter. Single dating, engaged, married, it doesn't matter. We should all be so well aware that God has so much to say about sex and it's so beautiful. Hey friends, just interrupting this chat for just a second to tell you about Samaritan Ministries. At Samaritan Ministries, believers in Jesus are committed to send financial gifts every month directly to an assigned member with a medical need. It's more than just the money or mere physical healing when there is a need. Samaritan members pray for one another for all aspects of the members' needs and encourage one another by sending notes and cards. And every month, more than 70,000 households, mine included, give generously to other members with a qualified medical need through Samaritan Ministries. International. That's SamaritanMinistries.org. It is one of the leading healthcare sharing ministries in America, where members send checks, prayers, and notes of encouragement directly to other members in need. Currently, Samaritan members give a monthly share starting at $100, depending on age and household size. Samaritan ministry members have never shared more than $495 a month for the family of any size. So just as significantly, Samaritan members also pray for one another and include notes and cards of encouragement with their monthly shares, which they send directly to other families. You can learn more by visiting www.samaritanministries.org. Thousands of Christians are joining the movement that allows them to care for one another for their health care, sharing needs from broken bones to cancer, pregnancies to organ transplants. Nearly a quarter of a million Christians have chosen a health care option that adheres to their biblical beliefs and brings together believers and communities. So I would encourage you to go check out SamaritanMinistries.org. So a thing that our mutual friend Amina Brown and I talked about is that no matter what your relational status, God has called you to sexual purity. Yep. You and Jeremiah have to choose sexual purity as much as I do. It just has a real different look to it. Yeah. Yeah. And that's what you teach about and write about so much in that book. Yeah. It's just my heart behind this was an unpacking of the fact that sex is not just about behavior modification and, and performing right in the right season. It's about heart transformation. It is, it is a beautiful gift given to us that God weaves together. The first conversation between God and man involves our identity and it involves sex. Dude, I saw you post that today on social media. And I and before I knew who the quote was, I said, oh my gosh, that's brilliant. And I was like, of course it's Mo. And of course I'm getting ready to talk to her. <laughs> that is brilliant. Yeah. yeah. Well, it's just true. We see literally the first conversation God has with man. He talks about the fact that we are His. We are the pinnacle of His creation. We have been given instruction to um, rule, to to um, be productive, to be you know beneficial members in this in this world. And then He also says, "Now go forth, be fruitful, be beneficial, and multiply." He talks about sex, and He weaves it together with our identity. And what happens is that sin enters in and our flesh enters in and we choose to choose for ourselves what we want or what we think or the ways we want to define sex. And what happens is it unbraids this, this beautiful combination of our identity and our, and our sexual instruction and design. And then that is why you see every sin struggle involving sex, every issue that we have always is rooted oftentimes around seeking worth, seeking affirmation, seeking love, thinking that's something that is, you know, needed in order to affirm love, whatever it may be. And, and I find that it's because we've unhinged two things that were never meant to know divide. God's beautiful expression of who we are and his beautiful design in this gift of unity of sex. And so you know, single dating married, we are all called 
to pure hearts. Create in me a pure heart, O God. And we are all called to purity as vessels meant to carry His light. We are meant to to be about His business. And that looks different in singleness and it does in marriage, but it doesn't change the heart condition that you know, pure decisions and pure actions come out of a pure heart and impure decisions, impure and actions come out of an impure heart. So it, it's like, we don't need a partner to assign us value. We need a soul reawakened to, to the worth that God has already knit into us. And then a pure heart will overflow from that. And so that's a lot of this book unpacks those very things. This isn't just a book about sex. Like, right. I, and it's so funny because people get so weird around that. It shouldn't be weird. Um, but it's not just a book about sex. It, it is a book about um, God's design and God's redemption. And I just love it. What are you hearing from married people as a response? I, I mean, I can imagine what single people are saying because I hear them too. But what are you hearing from married people? It's been so amazing to hear from married people, because the, the, the last two to three chapters dive into that. It, it dives into then, you know, our, my and Jeremiah's story and marriage and all the things that I didn't realize pre-marriage that I learned the hard way in marriage and that I'm still uncovering. And it's so neat to hear from married people about primarily the fact that they never realized or saw or were taught about the celebration of sex and the fact that it is a beautiful act of worship in marriage. It is an act of worship. We see marriages suffer and crumble many times around sexual issues. And we see women struggle with, you know, trying to match a husband's sex drive or whatever it may be. We We see all these sexual issues in marriage, but I think it's because we've missed the fact that if we are equal in our understanding that this is an act of worship. And not only that, it is a flippin' weapon against the enemy in marriage. It it reframes everything. And so I talk in the book about this couple who uh, Jeremiah and I read about, they they lost their child, their young child. They uh, died very unexpectedly. And the first thing they did when they found out the news was they came together to have sex. And I thought when I first heard that, I was like, what pervs like why (laughs) but what they unpacked and what I began to realize was they needed to come together as husband and wife to remind one another to remind God and to remind the enemy they would not soon be divided that they were one flesh that they would take this on together and it was so incredible for me to realize that it's just even the surface level understanding of what a weapon against the enemy sex really is what a unifying gift it is and what a fun gift it is in marriage. And so it's been really neat to hear from married people to hear how that's, I mean, Lord, I got a message from a woman the other day saying this literally saved our marriage because we've had so many issues around this and we got to sit down with this together and it just like pulled the scales from our eyes. And that's been really special to see because there's plenty of married people having lots of sex that, that don't even realize the fullness of the gift of sex. So that's been really cool. That's been really, really awesome. Are you hearing from men and women? Yes, shockingly. I'm a woman. So inherently, I like wrote this book to women. You know, a lot of the pronouns in the book are for women. But, you know, a lot of the book talks about struggles with pornography, which is a very real thing for single and married women. And I expected mainly to hear back from women, but it's been really amazing to hear back from men who resonate with these truths, also who are fathers and who want to better understand their wives um, and their daughters and their sons. And they want to be equipped in how to have these heart conversations with their children. That's been really special. I never really expected that demographic, but it's really resonated with fathers. And um, it's resonated, like I said, with husbands who who have said, thank you. I can I better understand not only this gift for myself, but my wife's heart, you know, behind all of this or behind the baggage that she brought in to the marriage or the baggage that I brought into the marriage, you know, all of those types of things. So it has, it's landed with men. And that's been like the greatest surprise. I love that. Tell me why single people should not be having sex. (laughs) Girl, uh, let's look at chapters one through seven. (laughs) No, it's um, (laughs) why single people um, should not be having sex sounds harsh. It sounds like the rule list that I think a lot of us are scorned to from the church. 
Um, I did that on purpose. That's why I'm here with you. I know. I was like, <laughs> let's ask a volatile question here, Annie. Um, We're hard hitting here. That sounds, well, you know, it sounds fun. <laughs> <laughs> that sounds fun. It's, it's rough. Um, I would rephrase that question into yeah, why, why single people should care about obedience to God's design for sex. That really is the, the heart behind it. Um, why we should care about what God has to say about sex and why it matters. Because we are single people who don't want to not do something just because we're told not to. <laughs> like I posted the other day on Instagram and after I posted this, I was like, dang, Mo, that was like, that was fire. I, I loved um, how these words came out, but I said, give this generation a rule list and watch them break the rules. Give this generation answers to their soul's deepest longings and watch them change the world. And I would say to the single people listening, it is so much more than a finger shaking at you saying, don't do this till you're married because Lord, dig into the book. I broke all those rules um, and learned a lot of hard lessons, a lot of hard ways. But to single people, I would say, man, you are in the most beautiful training ground for so many character qualities that God cares about so deeply. Um, a training ground for obedience, a training ground for submission, a training ground for understanding the complexity and the beauty of the gifts God gives us and the time that he allocates those things be enjoyed and exercised. And, you know, singleness is, is hard. Singleness is really hard when it comes to sexual matters. I am like, Lord, I'm not the preacher. I'm the pilgrim here saying it's hard. And, um, I, I learned a lot of that, some, some rough ways, but I would say, man, appreciate where God has you right now, what he is longing to grow you in and to teach you right now, the relationship he wants to intimately foster with you right now, where a lot of the times we're seeking that love and that relationship from other places, understand that God desire, that God delights in singleness, um, that he wants to use you, that he has plans and purpose for you. And he calls us to, to beautiful things uh, for a reason. And there's no wasted season of life. Singleness is nothing to bemoan. Singleness is a beautiful training ground um, where he has a lot he wants to grow and teach and use you for. I think you're right. And something else I've seen in other areas of my life is there's never a time when God has the right time and I wait on him that I am sorry I waited. Right. That we're right. like, dang like there's, it. There's always, right. Oh, I wish I wouldn't have waited on what God had best for me. Right. But I mean, I, in every other area, we don't even have to talk about sex. In every other area of my life where I have wanted to rush something and God has told me to slow down and to wait on his timing, it has always exceeded my expectation. What he had planned. Yes, because when when we rush something, when we want to become the author of our own stories, which if I could just stand on a mountaintop and say, all of us do, yeah, <laughs> all right. of us, know, all this, of us. Know, this, know this wrestling match, but and around sex, when we rush these things, when we do these things, when we want them or when we think they're best, or honestly, when we just need that fix to know that we're loved, like or at least feel it for a moment, we're wielding a weapon we don't know how to wield and we're injuring ourselves along the way. He is in the in the process of of growing us in good and holy things like patience and like virtue and like, you know, trust, so that when the time is right, we can we can wield a weapon with precision and with power. And we can know how to use that. And when we rush in to anything in life, but especially around sex, when we rush in and choose for ourselves, man, I think anyone listening to this, if we really got honest with ourselves, will say, that hurt. That was not smart. <laughs> that still has me pawning over this same person who's broken my heart 10 times. That has led me down a trail of giving pieces of myself away to feel loved over and over and over again. I, I think a lot of us listening would say, if we're honest with ourselves, like, how did I even get here where I am right now? Hurt, hurting and struggling and, you know, just a mess. How did I get here? Where did it go off the track? And it's just, it's just the fact that when we choose to choose for ourselves versus waiting on what God designs and designates, we usually end up down a trail we never planned and one that just isn't satisfying. Man, and that is true in sex and out of sex. That is true in every area. Of, that's true for me professionally and relationship and friendship. I get more hurt when I rush 
than in any other decision that I make. If I rush ahead of what I what God has, I end up paying that price. So true. It's so true. But what I love is that Jesus redeems. He's That's right, right there to meet us. Yep. He's right there to meet us. I look at the woman at the well who's literally back and forth to this same well over and over. This is a trail. I'm sure she's been exhausted walking, but she keeps walking because she needs that next thing to feel like enough. And man, Jesus meets her there and drums up all of her sin before her and specifically all of her sexual sin. He drums it all up before her. And in the face of her filth, he stays, he stays right where he is. And he offers her living water that she would never thirst again, that she wouldn't have to keep going down these trails of trying to fill herself up and figure herself out and make something feel like enough. No, he sits in the face of her tired and worn out mess and says, man, I've got living water that you would never thirst again. And what I love about that, what I love about when Jesus meets us there, whether it's sexually, whether it's whatever avenue of life, when he meets us, when we come to him to be filled, I love that that the woman at the well is the first person that Jesus in his ministry gives permission to, to all right, go tell him what I've done for you. Go tell him who I am. He's the first person that he gives permission to the woman at the well, the first person he says, go evangelize. And she doesn't run off in shame or guilt or saying, oh no, then they'll know that I've come back, you know, that I've been living this ragged life. She runs off in evangelism. She's like, oh my goodness, he does satisfy. It is good. It is all that it's promised to be. And And so many come to believe in response to her faithfulness and in response to who Jesus really is. And we're just all invited into that. We're literally all invited, no matter what mess we're in right this minute, we're invited to stop, to get living water, and then to go, let them know, let them know how good that that water is and how sweet that fulfillment is. And that goes for all of us in our sexual testimonies, but also in just life. Yeah, because that's what I was going to ask you is, you know, one of the things that about writing books and doing this work is that you will talk about your sexual history and your sexual relationships for a long time publicly now. And I was going to say, are you, is that okay? And why, why did you say yes to that? But you literally just said why you said yes to that. Yeah. They say yes to it because scripture promises us, it says, boast in your weakness, point to the glory of the cross. He promises that he'll use all for his glory, every single bit of it, even the most shameful stuff he will, he will, resuscitate with glory. He will, he'll resurrect it and he'll use it for his power and his purpose. And it's just amazing because when we actually find the courage to live really vulnerably and in such bravery like that, let's just all be brave. Am I right? When we find, when we find the, the courage to just say, okay, then here's my story. God use every last scrap of it for your glory. It's amazing how many people how many hurting, broken people resonate with that more than they resonate with like our feel good, pretty Instagram posts. Like they want to hear the raw and they want to hear the real because they're in the midst of the raw and the broken and the pain. And if we can find the courage to say, God, then use it. It's amazing what he'll do. And it makes you not scared next time to be vulnerable again. Like it's just, you know, you write about all these things and it's a, it's amazing if our, if our hearts could just grab hold of that, we would live bolder lives and we would see the glory of God more readily every single day in our lives. How does Jeremiah feel about it? How was the process of getting to where you're like, hey, husband, I'm going (laughs) to tell these things. Let's just talk about our honeymoon hardship with everybody. Right, (laughs) right, right. Because he, I mean, you and I have talked about this privately and my friends who listen to the podcast have heard me talk about this publicly too. But, you know, there's a shrapnel thing that happens to people who are in the lives of authors. (laughs) And it, and and some of them, especially someone as close as a Jeremiah, I mean, that's a lot of his life that people know now too. Yeah. Some of the coolest feedback I've gotten about the book, and this is like, this really, I think means the most to my heart, is people have said, I don't know how you did it, but you were so raw, so open and so vulnerable. And yet you honored the covenant of your marriage, like the privacy that's of the right. covenant of I your marriage. I thought the same thing. And, and that was like the, that's just the Holy Spirit because I could have never like crafted that wisely enough. That was really just the Holy Spirit saying, this is what I want you to speak into and how. And so write this way. And that was like a really sensitive in the writing process because I wanted to, not be churchy and closed off and, you know, just say certain 
right? Prim and proper things. I wanted to be really real and really raw, but I also wanted to honor my husband. And so that was something really prayerfully like navigated through in writing. And I'm glad it's landed that way because Jeremiah is so amazing. He's like my greatest championing, like my greatest cheerleader. And I actually came to him with the things that I wanted to puke knowing God was saying, write about this. And I wanted to say, no, like I write about being involved in an adulterous relationship unknowingly um, in college because I was drunk and, you know, made out with a married man and didn't know it. I came to Jeremiah. I remember when God was like, you have to talk about that. I came to him. I just wanted to puke. I just literally wanted to throw up all over the couch and be like, I can't, I cannot write about this. And he's like, why not? Why not? If scripture says boast in your weaknesses, so the grace is that much sweeter. Like, why not? Be courageous. He was the one like, do it, say it, you know, go for it. And even when it came to the stuff that involved his and my, you know, sexual story. And I just love him for that because he, his courage made me feel courageous. And um, he was just proud. He was proud of me and um, he was proud of how I worded it and how I was sensitive. So Hopefully it'll all be good. Now I think about, but wait, I have kids. They're going to read this one day. <laughs> what are they going to think of mommy? Oh, that's right. No, I think about that with my stuff too, man. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, that's the, that's the shrapnel I haven't quite prayed through yet, but hopefully they'll get to see that mommy is real and that mommy is a sinner too, that needs saving grace. And so we'll, we'll, we'll navigate that road and we'll that's get right. to you it. You got I guess. some time. You got some time. They can't read yet. You're good. Uh, you know, my dad and your husband go to the same gym. Yes. And my dad says the greatest stuff about Jeremiah. It's so sweet. He's They talk about our books and they talk. I mean, it is like the coolest. I love it so much. I feel like all the time Jeremiah comes home and he's like, did you tell, I was with Annie's dad again. Have you told her? And I, I always forget to text you like <laughs> your dad and my husband are best friends, but he, now it's on the record. <laughs> That's right. Now it's official. Mo, well, I'll just tell you as a single woman who navigates the writing world and the sex world and the human world that you do, you've done a really beautiful job with this and you're having conversations that you've started conversations that we need to be having. And so I know I've told you that privately, but I want to say publicly how honored I am to be your friend with the kind of work you're willing to do. I just think it really, really matters. Thank you so much. That that means so much to me coming from you. I, I really appreciate it. My pleasure. Hey, listen, the last question we always ask, uh -oh. And we've got to ask it because you got it. What if I was like, it's not going to be any harder than what we've already done, sister. <laughs> I'm not going to get weirder or, or more personal. But we always, it's called That Sounds Fun. And you did it last time. You got to tell me what sounds fun to you right now. I mean, it, a book is launched. You're kind of in a resting place. You got two little gals. Tell me what fun is like for you right now. Do you know what sounds so fun at this moment? Um, it would be a visit to the chiropractor, a visit to a masseuse and a little bit of a vacation. It has been, and we're coming up on that, which I'm excited about. But yeah, when do y'all have vacation? We get to go to my brother-in-law's wedding week in Florida, like mid-month this month. And oh, I, that's great. I'm just counting the days because all of this is so incredible. And I've loved this book launch so much, but big mama, big mama's kind of tired. So yeah, <laughs> I, uh, I got some lower back pain. Um, I got some achy muscles and I've got baby puke on my shirt. And so big mom is ready to go on vacation and say, here, every member of the family care for my babies and let me. Yeah, I was about to say, are you taking them with you or are you leaving them here? You're oh, taking no, them with they, you. They'll come with us and it'll be amazing. But I will pass out face down in the sand on the beach and I won't move for a couple of days and I need no one to interrupt me. <laughs> <laughs> that is so fun. I love that about you. I think that's incredibly fun. And I love, I, as the woman who doesn't have children, I love going on vacations where people bring their kids because I like being around kids and I like helping like that. So I think it's fun. I actually just was in the car with like my three best friends here who are all married and uh, we were riding home from a dinner and I just said, Hey, next time y'all do vacations, will you invite me? I was like, I, I, I'm until I'm married with kids, I, it is hard to vacation, you know, but you'll have another set of hands and I want to go on vacation. <laughs> I'll pay my part. Just let me go. That is music to any mother's ears. Can I go on vacation with you and play with your kids? That's what I'm I saying. feel like none of your friends would turn you down. That's what I'm saying. <laughs> uh, Mo, thanks again for being on the show. I love you, sister. I love you too. Thanks for having me.
So friends, I hope you will go and grab that new book from Mo, Sex, Jesus, and the Conversations the Church Forgot. She is so full of wisdom. Her and Candace today are just like a one-two punch on knowing who you want to be and living that way. So I hope you will give them both a follow on social media and grab their new books. I think you'll really be glad. One of my favorite comments you guys make to me is how I am going to make you poor because you always buy the books from our friends who we bring on the show. And like, I'm sorry, but I'm not sorry because I think they're great too. I wouldn't tell you about them. Trust me. Trust me. There are a lot of books that come across my desk and across my life. And the only people you are going to hear from on here are people whose books I think you're really going to love. And I really think you'll love Candace and Mo's new book. So make sure you grab those. Hey, if there's anything I can do for you, I'm embarrassingly easy to find. Annie F. Downs, F as in friends, because I'm really hoping Candace and Mo will be friends now. I love when my friends become friends with my friends. So Annie F. Downs across the internet, Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, wherever you need me, that is how you can find me. And if you have finished reading 100 Days to Brave and you want to invite some friends to do it with you, make sure you go to AnnieFDowns.com slash 100 days. That's 100 days. And check out some fun stuff we have there for you. And it's never too late to start doing push-ups with Candace. So make sure you follow her on Instagram and you can do push-ups along with her and Kira for the rest of the year. Hey, I hope you'll go out and do something that sounds fun to you today. Maybe that's push-ups, maybe it's not. And we will see you guys next week. 